Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Just a little biblical information, maybe you might want to call it trivia. There's actually only two books in the Bible that we learn about the coming of Jesus, the Christmas story as we know it. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, in the early chapters of those books. And then also, you might want to then hold to Isaiah chapter 9, and that's where we get the prophecy of the coming of Jesus. As you're going there, I thought I'd share with you that according to the Alaska Department of Game, Fish, and Parks, while both male and female reindeer grow their antlers in the summer, it is the male reindeer that drop their antlers in late November to mid-December. Think about that. The female reindeer, however, retain them until after they give birth in the spring, which means according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them are female. It's good, it's good news, isn't it? But think about it, it makes sense. For only women would be able to drag an overweight man in a red suit around the world in one night and not get lost. Would you agree with that? I love sharing these stories because some of you men look like the Grinch. I was telling you, the ladies, I mean, the ladies are like, yeah. You know? And you get some men who go, oh, that's funny. And you get some men going, I love it. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Last week, again, I shared with you, we talked about Herod. And I really want to invite you, if you have not heard that message, to go back and think about it, to listen to it, ponder it. Because I think if we're really honest, there can easily be a Herod in all of us. But now I want to talk about someone in the Bible who actually never existed in the Bible, but we've sure made him a significant part of the Christmas story. If you're wondering who that is, this past week I was up at Sioux Falls Christian watching our youngest in their Christmas musical, which was entitled, The Case of the Reluctant Innkeeper. They had the innkeeper on trial, which I found interesting because he doesn't even exist in the Bible. But we've always made him a part of the Christmas story. And I want to show you what the scriptures say but maybe precisely why the Bible excludes him, he doesn't exist. We wrote him into the script, but there might be a personal reason why. And I want to show you the progression of how the Grinch comes in and steals Christmas. And maybe there's a reason that this role, we wrote it into the Christmas story, which was never there in the beginning. But I'll say it again, maybe that was God's plan and purpose. If you got your Bibles, let me show you. Luke chapter 2 in the very first verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. All we know was that somewhere in Scripture, the Bible was clear to the fact that there was no room in the inn. I read to you, if you will, from a translation that calls it a guest room. And I just want you to ponder this for a moment. Regardless of the fact, we don't know where the information came from. We just know there was no room. And thus, he was born in a stable in a feeding trough, a manger. But there's no mention of an innkeeper. I find it interesting that there was no room in the inn. I just offer this to you. I read to you a guest room. Well, let me help you with this. We, we've all heard the old Christmas carol, the hymn, Joy to the World. There's a line in it, and some of the older people might remember, prepare him room, which I contend may be the problem. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you and I are to prepare him anything. We're to surrender everything. See, preparations means that you get ready for the coming of Jesus. You all ready for this? He came 2,000 years ago. And maybe the reason we get caught into preparing is because we'd lost something or it was never there in the first place. But you never prepare him a room as a guest room because God's never guest. When you get salvation, you give him the keys to the house. But there was no room in the inn. Maybe the issue is, is there's been no inn to our room. So why does the Bible makes no mention of an innkeeper, but you and I are so quick to want to put him in the story? And maybe because we don't even realize we're actually on the right road, but we need to ponder how the Grinch steals Christmas because maybe you and I are the innkeeper. That's why we keep putting him in the script and don't even realize. And maybe we would have done the same or are doing the same. There's no room, at least in the world I'm living right now. I want to walk through the story and help you with it. You might want to write this down. We call it Christmas, Christ much. But someone once said it seems to be coming Christ-less. Christless. And we need to get back to what Christmas is all about. The coming of the king who already came 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to come again. He will return to take those who are sold out home. But you need to know 2,000 years ago, what he did then was not to create a holiday in which we prepare for as if somehow it's a birthday that we celebrate. We'll come to that in a little bit later. But it was a holy day that marked a moment that changed everything. That's why I say Christmas is not a day we celebrate. Christmas changed every day, every moment of my life. My Savior came. And then my Savior died. 
And now he lives right now at the right hand of the Father. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he put his presence in my life, thus making Christmas every moment of every day. Amen to that? Let me help you with this story by setting it up. Pat Cook tells a story of a Jewish lady named Mrs. Rosenberg, who many years ago was stranded one night in a hotel or at a hotel, but it didn't admit Jews. The desk clerk didn't want to tell her that. He just simply looked down at his books and said, sorry, ma'am, no room. The hotel is full. But your sign says vacancies, she replied. Well, yes, it does, ma'am. But I just need to tell you, we don't admit your kind. You'll have to try on the other side of town. Mrs. Rosenberg stiffened and replied, I'll have you know, young man, I converted to your religion many years ago. The desk clerk was annoyed by the thought and said, oh yeah, well, let's see about that. Allow me to give you a little test. How was Jesus born? Well, he was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. Well, you are right. Tell me more. <laughs> she said he was born in a manger. She stopped there. He said, that's right. But do you know why he was born in a manger? Mrs. Rosenberg smiled, looked around to make sure everybody could hear and said loudly, because a jerk like you in a place like this wouldn't give a Jewish lady like me a room for the night. <laughs> you know, I have to wonder if we get a little bit pompous, I think I do sometimes, a little self-righteous to think that, boy, if I would have known Mary was carrying the Savior of the world, I would have made room. But I think I can excuse the innkeeper back then who did not exist, but we'll put him in the story. I think he might be justified because he didn't know. But I do offer that maybe you and I aren't justified because I wonder if we still do the same and we do know. The Bible says their Grinch comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And he works very hard at what he does and I never want to give the devil credit but the Grinch is really good at what he does. And I think there's things that we can learn from this story that we need to ask ourselves as well. Church, listen to this. According to Matthew 25, when the end happens, the Bible says the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will come in all of his glory and he will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are those that will experience eternal life with God forever. The goats are the ones that he's going to send to hell. It's interesting that when Jesus shares his story, he says, when the sheep stand before me, I will say, blessed to you, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. And he's not going to go, because you memorized scripture and were so good to it, oh my goodness, you gave beyond anything you could imagine. Jesus literally says, you want to know what's going to be in heaven, what's not? He says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. What you did for the least of these, you did unto me. Blessed are you, inherit the kingdom. He will turn to the goats and say, you won't inherit the kingdom because when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. It's interesting. Many on that day, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these great things for you? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. 
James will tell us that you want to be a picture of what religion is all about. Take care of the orphan and the widow. He calls it, that's the pure religion. Hebrews 13.2, the writer says this, be very careful how you walk with a stranger. Be very careful how you judge them. For many did not know that they were entertaining angels. What does it mean to make room? Well, here's the first thing I think we need to look at. If you got your notes, take them out. Here's how the Grinch steals Christmas. First of all, I think we get overbooked. We get overbooked. There was no room in the inn, but I'm not talking about rooms, if you will, in your house. I'm talking about room in your life, how we live it. I think the Grinch comes in and he gets us so busy about the things that don't really matter that all of a sudden we don't have time for what really matters. We get overbooked. My question you need to ask is, am I overbooked when it comes to yourself? I read a story about a mother who was running ferociously from store to store on Christmas Eve. Maybe this has been you. Trying to get that last minute gift for Christmas. Suddenly, she realized she had lost track of her three-year-old son. In a panic, she started to retrace her steps and found him standing with his little nose pressed flatly against a frosty window, gazing at a manger scene. When he heard his mother call his name, he turned and shouted, Look, Mommy! It's Jesus! Baby Jesus is in the hay! The stressed-out mother grabbed his arm, jerked him away, and said, Let's go. We don't have time for that. I wonder if we've done the same. Are we overbooked? I had a lady once say this to me, oh preacher, <laughs> I love it when they say that to me. Oh preacher, I'd really like to serve the Lord, I just don't have any time. Between raising my daughter, working a 20-hour week job at a video store, taking my daughter to soccer practice, to soccer games, scrapbooking with my scrapbook club on Saturday, working out at the gym four nights a week, blogging, baking, booking, and then keeping up with Desperate Housewives, Survivor, and American Idol, by the time Sunday rolls around, it's the only day my husband and I have to take our boat to the lake, to ride our ATVs, fish, and relax. You know, pastor, it just seems we don't have time for those things we'd really like to do. Overbooked. Overbooked. And boy, have I heard that so many times. Church life is not about the time that you get. It's about how you spend and invest the time you got. I think Eric Hofer says it best. Look what he writes, and it's up on the screen. The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born out of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. When we do not do that one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We become the busiest and least contented people in the world. Do you know what he's saying? It's the power of what God does in your life. When you don't do the one thing that matters, you'll never have enough time. And the reason you're busy is all busyness is is the form of chasing something, hoping it will fill the void that only Jesus can. I want you to listen very carefully. When you do the one thing that matters, 
you always have more time to do more than you could ever imagine. I don't know how it works, but somehow God magically does. When you do this, he seems to multiply the hours in the day. I think Eric Hofer is right. Isaiah 5 says this, What sorrow for you who buy up house after house, field after field, until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. You know what the prophet's saying? How sad it is for those who spend all their time consumed with consuming. They never really know what they have or had. That's what the prophet's saying. See how the Grinch works? He comes in and gets us chasing in the world, running and running and running. We're overbooked. And here's what happens. When you get overbooked, write this in. Jesus gets overlooked. When you get overbooked, Jesus always gets overlooked. You know, I heard a newscaster once say, this, not once, this, this was said the day after Thanksgiving. You ready for this? We are off to a good start this Christmas. Sales are up 5.3%. I just remember going, you, you kidding me? That's the measure of a good Christmas? So the alternative is, well, Christmas is really going to be bad this year. Sales are down. You've got to be kidding me. And yet Barna confirms this in America. They did this huge national survey. You ready for this? 88% of the people they surveyed said they were born-again Christians. And here's what came back. 37% of American adults say the birth of Jesus is the most important aspect of Christmas. Only 37%. No kidding. <laughs> From 18 to 34-year-olds, only 26% say Jesus is the reason for the season. We're crowding Christ out of Christmas, people. Maybe we don't think so, but we're so overbooked, I think Jesus gets overlooked. We seek the mall instead of a manger. We follow the sails instead of a star. We worship gifts instead of God. I sure wish that one nation under God would find the church packed on Sunday morning more than they do on Black Friday. In the cartoon shoe, Skylar and Uncle Cosmos are talking about Christmas when Skylar says, what was it you wanted for Christmas, Uncle Cosmos? I told you, Skylar, just a little peace and quiet. I know, but I just came from the mall. I think they're all out of it. <laughs> See, I think the Grinch has become quite successful in luring us away with counterfeit promises. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. In church, it's important we catch this. No peace, no peace. But when you know peace, <laughs> come on, you know what? Peace. No peace, there's no peace. But when you know peace, oh, you know peace. You see what happens? When we get overbooked, Jesus gets overlooked. But I think the most important question is this. Have we been overtook? Really? What is it about a census that we lose our senses? 
See, I have to ask this. I just wonder if a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus simply have never been overtaken by Jesus. Because when a person becomes a follower of Christ, the Bible makes it clear things start to change. Maybe not all at once, but definitely a change starts to happen. And one of the evidences, you ready for this? Because you no longer belong to yourself, you will no longer live for yourself or for things. That's a fact. The Bible says when the old's gone, the new has come. It's saddened to me that somehow in America we've learned to compartmentalize Jesus. We, like a piece of pie. It's like, okay, that piece is covered. Now I got, folks, he is the pie. You don't prepare him a room. You give him the keys to the house. I'll say that again. I don't get a thought in this process now. See, the Bible says, when I surrender my life, I begin to be transformed by the renewing over my mind, which means it's no longer my thoughts. They're now his thoughts. That's where obedience comes in. Jesus says, here's the new thought. It's my word. Meditate on it day and night. Do not turn from its left or its right. These are the thoughts of God. This is the mind of God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you obey it. What is it about that we make Christmas a holiday when 2,000 years ago it became a holy day? It's not a moment we prepare for and we celebrate. It was a day of transformation 2,000 years ago. Therefore, Christmas is every day of my life. The Savior has come. The Savior is here. Amen. And we live that. Yeah. I'm going to invite Ryan to the stage. I want to share a story with you. James Dobson tells it. It's about a mom who had three daughters who learned the importance of who and what Christmas was all about. But it wasn't always this way. You see, Mary was married once. She lived in a nice home. She never had a want for anything. Well, until the day her husband decided he didn't want to be a husband or a father, packed up his bags and left. She never heard from him again. It left Mary in a jam. She had never worked outside the home before this, and now she would have to work and provide for her children. She was grateful when she found a job cleaning houses, which meant she could be home when the girls got home from school and still make enough money to provide for their needs. The girls were fed. They had clothes, well, hand-me-downs given to her by her employers, but they were clothes nevertheless. She had no car, couldn't afford it, but she had a roof over her head. It was a difficult adjustment, but she was making do. The two eldest girls, Cindy and Laura, helped as much as they could and never complained. <laughs> she was thankful. The youngest, Becky, found happiness in her doll, Charlie. She kept him wrapped in a blanket at all times. One day with the coming of Christmas, she walked the girls to school and then walked on with little Becky and her doll, Charlie, to the first house she would have to clean that day. As they approached the front door, Mary saw a beautiful Christmas wreath hanging on it. When they went inside, there were Christmas decorations everywhere, a brig tree with lots of presents underneath and a star on top. I've got work to do now, sweetheart. Please don't touch anything. Okay, Mom came Becky's reply as she climbed up into a big easy chair and she sat with her doll Charlie admiring the presents and the ornaments. 
Later that day, she went to another home to clean. Same decor. Trees, ornaments, presents, the smell of Christmas all around. Up until this point, Becky never asked one question. She just admired all the colors, the smells, and the aura of Christmas. When they got home that night, however, Becky suddenly realized that she might be missing out on something. She looked up at her mom and said, why does everyone have a tree and we don't? Why are there so many presents? We don't have any. Is it somebody's birthday? Mary had known the questions would come. Laura and Sydney, or Cindy, or Cindy looked up from the floor where they were playing, waiting for the answers. Thus, Mary pulled Becky up on her lap. You're a smart girl, sweetheart. It is somebody's birthday, and I'll tell you all about him. His name is Jesus. He was born Christmas Day. Mary told her kids how it all had happened. Becky hugged Charlie close and said, Poor baby, was it very cold in the stable? I, I wouldn't want to sleep in the stable, would you? Sure wish I could have been there. Down the street was a church. Mary knew it. Every Christmas, they always had a huge nativity scene, so Mary decided she would take the girls for a walk. When they got to the church, they saw the manger with straw, large ceramic figures of wise men, Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus. Becky didn't want to leave. Finally, Mom said, come on, girls, it's cold out. We need to get back home. But Becky wanted to stay. She was mesmerized by the whole thing. The next week was difficult for the family. It seemed everywhere they went, life was taunting them of what they would not have this Christmas. Mary went to Safeway. To pick up the spaghetti that they would have for Christmas dinner. Folks were standing in line with big turkeys, all the fixings. Mary tried to embrace the reality of it all, but down deep she was hurting so bad. Things were even more difficult for the girls. At school, everyone focused on Christmas, the gifts, the decoration, the parties. The girls felt like strangers on the outside looking in. It didn't take long that Mary's sadness turned to bitterness as every carol reminded her of what her husband left, what she used to have. The older girls could see what was happening with their mother and they too began to grow bitter but not little Becky. She seemed to be immune by it all. She rocked little Charlie in her arms and told him again and again about baby Jesus. Becky would ask her sisters every day to take her to the church to see the nativity. Of course, they would take her begrudgingly and reluctantly and then drag her home when she was finished. Christmas morning came in a flurry of snow. Laura and Cindy woke up freezing. For the heat sometimes would be on and then it would be off. They raced into their mom's room, burrowed under the covers to warm themselves. Mary cuddled them both, kissed them on the forehead, said, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mama. I'm afraid there won't be many gifts for you, but go wake up your little sister and we'll open the few we have together girls bounded out of the room to get little Becky. Soon they dashed, dashed back in and said, she's not in her room, Mama. We can't find her. Mama jumped out of bed frantically and began to look for little Becky, but she was nowhere to be found. Mary began to pray, dear God, please help me find her. 
I'm so sorry for my selfishness, the gifts and the dinner that I'd hoped to give. Just forgive me and help me get my little Becky back. It was then that Mary noticed Charlie. He was carefully poised in a chair facing out the front window. Her mind began to race. Charlie was never out of Becky's sight and she noticed his blanket was gone as well. Becky always insisted that he be wrapped tightly in his blanket. Suddenly she knew. Stay here girls, I'll be right back. She ran out the front door into the darkness still. The sun had not risen, snow falling. She ran down the street until she could see the church. She slowed, tears releasing down her face as she caught sight of her daughter. The star that was hanging over the manger was shining down, illuminating her and the manger. Her little Becky had climbed into it and was covering up baby Jesus with her ratty old blanket. As Mary drew closer, she could hear Becky talking, you must be called Jesus. I knew the snow would be falling on you. This is Charlie's blanket. I wanna give it to you. He has me to keep him warm. She looked up when she heard the footsteps and said, hi, mama. I was afraid that Jesus might have thought we forgot him on his birthday. Mary lifted Becky out of the straw, held her tight, tears streaming down her face now. I did forget, honey. I did, dear God, I'm so sorry I forgot. She tenderly carried her daughter back home, now filled with a new Christmas joy. When she walked into the house, a new mom walked through the door. With Christmas carols to cheer them all, they hung popcorn strings and ornaments on Mary's tallest house plant. A star made out of tin foil, they put it on top. They put just the few presents they had underneath. And best of all, Mary made a birthday cake with their hands joined together now around the table. They all sang, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jesus. Happy birthday to you. I wonder how guilty we've been getting so busy about preparing for Christmas when we have nothing to prepare, when all the preparations have already been done. God sent his son. His name was Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to be savior of our lives. All we can do is open the door, give him the keys and say, welcome home. Have we gotten overbooked? That Jesus has gotten overlooked? But maybe the real question is, is have we really been overtook? by Jesus. I said at the beginning, you don't prepare him anything, you just surrender everything. He's not a guest, he's God. A guest means that when it's all over, we put the tree back in the box and we start focusing on other things. That's not what Christmas was meant to be. It's not a holiday. It was a holy day 2,000 years ago. And it changes everything. 
I read that story and get emotional because I think about all the blessings I have and how easy it is to get lost in what I don't have. And yet, that's exactly what the Grinch wants. Because in Jesus, I have everything. There's nothing else I need. I shall not want. Isn't that what David wrote? No matter where I walk, I shall want nothing. Because in God and Jesus and the Spirit, I have everything I need. God, can I pray for you? Father, I don't know what's going through the hearts of everyone in this room, but I know for me, I'm so grateful it's not about where I've been. What matters is right now. That's Christmas. That's that freshness that you give every day. God, like Mary in the story, I'm sorry that I forget what really matters. I've been guilty of being overbooked, busy about the things that I shouldn't be, busy about a holiday rather than just being still in a holy day that changed everything. And when I get overbooked, I know you get overlooked. The worries of the world start crowding in just what the Grinch wants. But God, it's a new day, and I pray right now people would be praying in their heart between you and, and them, Father, forgive me. I forgot. I've been overbooked, I admit. And I know you get overlooked when that happens. But right now, overtake my heart again. Fill it with what matters, only you. I'm giving you the keys. It's your house. It's your life. It's in you that I have life. Life to the full. God, thank you. You're so good. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.